Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline, brought to you by our partners at DryJack, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass. And our partners at Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. I'm joined on this episode of the Turfgrass Hotline by Associate Professor and Extension Specialist of Turfgrass Pathology at NC State University, Dr. Jim Kearns. Jim, it seems like the weather's been a little cool. I know you've been wet up until recently. Is it actually getting dry? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we've been exceptionally wet, and it's getting a little bit dry. We're, we're uh, allowing carts off the path uh, in a few areas uh, in the state, but... Uh, been exceptionally wet. One of the nice things that I like or I've seen is this may be one of the better years I've seen since coming back to NC State for some of our warm season grasses coming out of dormancy. Ah, because it's been a cool spring, hasn't it? It has, but we haven't really had, like last year and the year before, we had some exceptionally cold Mm -hmm. nights. We've been cool in the respect of daytime temps, but Fortunately, we've we've been lucky with some of the nighttime temps. Okay, so the Bermuda grasses, the warm season grasses, and particularly those on golf and sports turf, you're saying right now they're coming out of the winter pretty healthy, but are they slow to green up because it seems to be a little cooler than normal? Yes, absolutely. Um, doesn't seem to be any major winter kill yet, but it is still early because you you highlighted it well. They've been really slow to show their heads. I mean, typically we're well into rating spring dead spot trials and it's still a challenge right now. So the good news is unlike uh, polar vortex years, we, we don't seem to be uh, have lost any warm season grasses, which is a big consideration. But the other aspect is what does this cooler start mean for problems like spring dead spot? Or is this just you know, I'm imagining that you're going to start to see the Bermuda warm up and then the areas that are really affected by spring dead spot not green up as quickly. Does this cool start make spring dead spot worse? Absolutely. If we continue down this cool path, it's just going to prolong the recovery by two to three weeks for those that they have not gotten the control that they wanted out of their fungicide. So... Thanks for bringing up the fungicide. You had a beautiful tweet about this uh, just the other day, some studies that you found interesting that the listeners can find on your website. And you looked particularly at some SDHI chemistry for spring dead spot management. And I'm looking at this stuff. And what's interesting, I think, for somebody who's not a pathologist, Jim, and talks to golf course superintendents, you've got several SDHIs on the market now. And you're showing here a pretty wide disparity in their effectiveness on spring dead spot. You want to talk about that a little bit, how surprising it was for you to see those differences? Yeah, you know, when uh, SDHIs first came to the market, we were really only looking at dollar spot, brown patch, anthracnose. And it turns out that they have some very unique characteristics. But you're exactly right. They're all different from one another. I mean, uh, Kubota, when it came to the market, it was you know, another decent dollar spot material. Mm-hmm. And PBI Gordon just happened to test it once, I think at Virginia Tech for spring dead spot and saw something with it. And in the post that we put out the past two years, Kaboto has been outstanding. The standard prior to that was Valista, which is still performing well. And then now we have yet another one 
that's out called Posterity. Mm-hmm. So up in your neck of the woods, Frank, people are going to be looking at it for a dollar spot. But mm-hmm. down here, it has some really strong spring dead spot properties as well. So the infection of spring dead spot, I'm assuming, is occurring the previous fall. I wonder if it's a bit like snow mold for us in the north that you've got to get those controls down at the right time. And I'm assuming the infection period is occurring through the cool winter months. Is is that how this disease works? Yeah. So uh, infection, we know, is starting somewhere between 65 and 70 degree soil temperatures. And it probably continues to about 45, 50 degree soil temperatures. And then essentially just makes Bermuda grass and Zoysia grasses are not immune from spring dead spot either, more sensitive to winter injury. So it's absolutely, you know, analogous to snow mold in that if you miss that infection window, you are not going to get any control in the spring of the year once we see the the symptoms develop. So where do people still struggle with spring dead spot? It seems to me that now that you're finding these um, SDHIs working pretty good, I'm assuming you've had some good controls in place. Does the average uh, course down that way lose a fair amount of grass to spring dead spot every year if they're on a good fungicide program? No. Where we see losses are basically after... What we experienced November through December, uh, I think in Raleigh from September 1st, we've had over 35 inches of rain. Hmm. And the persistence of the chemistry is just not sticking around. And yet with uh, whatever our new norm is for climate, our window in the fall of the year has gotten much smaller than it used to be. Hmm. I think where people typically have issues is we used to spray for spring dead spot around September 15th. And now we don't get to that 70 degree soil temperature until really October 1st to October 15th. So I think that's been the biggest hurdle is convincing people that we really absolutely need to watch soil temperatures with these new products. And Lane presented at a uh, symposium we had here at NC State that, you know, with Rubigan, one of the beauties of that product is its aerobic half-life was like eight to 900 days. Mm. So the timing wasn't all that important with it, but some of these new products, they work very, very well if they're timed appropriately. Hmm. Man, that is sage advice there. So listen, let me pivot right to the next thing that seemed uh, dramatically different last year was gray leaf spot. Uh, I have the pleasure of chatting with Rich Buckley, the diagnostician at Rutgers on a regular basis. And just the year before, he was bragging about how he's never seen gray leaf spot on tall fescue, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. And I love Rich. And boy, we ate a lot of crow, him and I, this past year, because boy, how intense was the gray leaf spot pressure, Jim? It was like I've never seen. We've had gray leaf spot in tall fescue for years, but it's typically been in sod production where they have, you know, young juvenile plants all the time. But this September and October, I've never seen lawns go down the way they have. I mean, admittedly, I even lost 20% of my backyard to it. Yeah, I think Bruce Clark tweeted out he lost 40% of his lawn to gray leaf spot. So, so it looked like, again, going back to that nice tweet that takes to some of the results of your trials, it looks like the heritage DAC combination that we rely on here, at least on our ryegrass in the North, uh, is still holding its own, but you had a couple of new products. Like, uh, I've never seen this QPTM before. I'm not familiar with fame. What direction are we moving thinking maybe, uh, Dacanil may 
You saw what the EU just did to Dakinil. I'm wondering if these other products are good replacements. Yeah, it seems like uh, the QPTM is QualiPro's version of thiophanate methyl, which would be analogous to 3336. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because why resistance hasn't developed to that, given that dollar spot and thracnose, they're all resistant to that chemistry. It performed exceptionally well. And when we mix that with heritage, in our thinking here, we still get a lot of brown patch in our tall fescue. Mm-hmm. So we have to have the combination to, to deal with both diseases. But it seems like there may be some suitable alternatives out there, but it's hard to beat mixing a heritage with chlorothalonil. Mm-hmm. Now, the FAME product, that's another um, QOI. It's fluoxystrobin. You may have remembered it as Disarm, mm-hmm. and it's transitioned to FMC, and they have renamed it as FAME. I see. Now, one of the things that uh, we've relied on here on our ryegrasses anyway, particularly since the outbreak in the early 90s of gray leaf spot and even the turn of the century up here in the mid-Atlantic when people were, you know, losing ryegrass fairways like crazy, is the immediate response that the breeders at Rutgers had to developing resistant varieties to these things. Did you see a real breakdown of what you thought was resistant in the tall fescues uh, this past year? The pressure was so intense. You know, that's a good question. We didn't, you know, in in our tall fescue uh, at the farm is just one variety. I don't recall if it actually got into Dr. Miller's NTEP trials or not. But I I think the question is, is really that the focus has been, you know, Rich wasn't incorrect that We've been focusing on brown patch and gray leaf spots kind of been what we've been breeding for in perennial ryegrass. Mm-hmm. So I think there are some resistant cultivars, but I think we're a little bit behind the game in terms of resistance there in tall fescue. Mm, very interesting. So listen, Jim, we're going to wrap it up already. And I want to draw attention to the great work you do in the Southeast in the diagnostic lab. And one of the things I really like, and I use that a slide that you developed Uh, last year for the summary of the types of problems that come into the lab that were, uh, you know, related to a particular pathogen or pest or or no pathogen found. And both for your ultra dwarfs and your bent grass back in 2017, the lion's share of the samples, which I know makes people who send them in very happy, uh, there was no pathogen found. I don't know if you've done that same summary for 18, but was it a year where maybe there was less abiotic stress and more biotic stress? No, actually, it was fairly similar, believe it or not, with even all the rainfall. Uh, We have put it out. It came out mid-February on our website. And the main thing was when people look at it, everything was centered towards August, September, and October when we just got obliterated with heat, humidity, and rain. Right. So how about that website address and information for sending samples to the lab? So our um, website is turfpathology, all one word, dot plantpath.ncsu.edu. And on that site, under the turf diagnostics lab tab, uh, it has all the information on how to send in a sample, uh, including videos of how we want it prepared, Perfect. Uh, where we want the samples from, addresses. We're fortunate that we can accept also credit card payments ah. for people that are interested. Imagine that, a university in the modern world. I know. We actually <laughs> came into the 19th or 20th century, whatever you want to say. So everything is up there. And I think a lot of people ask, are we around? And this goes into our general plant 
disease and insect clinic and somebody's always there to accept it. Mm-hmm. So if people are in a hurry, go ahead and send it and we'll get to it if you choose to use our services. Excellent. Associate Professor and Extension Specialist of Turfgrass Pathology at the North Carolina State University, Dr. Jim Kearns. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to join me, and I hope you have a a great start to the season. I'll chat with you again later. All right. Thanks again, Frank. Happy to have Professor Jim Kearns from NC State University, and thanks to our partners at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in a single pass, and Intelligro, manufacturers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. I'm Frank Rossi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.